Hello and good evening, everyone. It's your good friend, Mr. Eric Norton, and I'm going to be joined tonight in just a minute by my good friend, Mr. Mike Basic, as I do some cleanup here on the other end. Uh, of the on the other side of your screen is I need to send him an email right quick. I I texted him the link instead of email, and he needs uh, an email. So if you give me just one moment here, I will take care of that. And while I do that, we can of course talk about all the things that are going on in the hobby today. Well, this week, and specifically Tom Brady retiring. That kind of took on um, just a whole. Well, we knew it was coming, right? It was reported a couple of days ago, and then it did not happen. Uh, it was a little premature. Go, go figure, right? And then, of course, it does happen. Now, say what you will. Uh, probably, you know, it's, it's a roster spot move where uh, if he was on the roster in February, he was due some money, anyways. So um, that's more than likely what happened. But, anyways. Tom Brady retires, and that takes over the hobby world today as we lead into the Super Bowl and everything. So we're going to get into that with Mike Bassick and have some discussions uh, about that as well. We're also going to talk about collecting during uh, a lockout. Mike, uh, obviously, he played in the MLB. He has some experience about this. He is a collector. And there's Mike right now adding him to the screen. What's up, Mike B? What's up, buddy? How are you? How's it going, Eric? I'm doing real well, doing real well. We were just discussing some things that we might be uh, discussing tonight. Uh, before we get into the show, thanks to Dynasty Breaks for joining us tonight and being our sponsor. Go check them out at DynastyBreaks.com and get yourself $5 off uh, your first break there. Uh, well, let's just catch up for a minute, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, getting busy with – I know you're just talking about baseball season and a lockout. There's no lockout in Little League baseball. so <laughs> That's getting, still going strong. Yeah, getting my kids all – trying to get the teams, trying to get practice, trying to – right now there's a lot of kind of in select baseball and, and middle school baseball starting to get everything, trying to get together and, and organize, getting ready for hopefully a fun baseball season. Do you coach? I do. I coach at um, Bishop Dunn, which is a middle school high school in South Dallas. That's where um, my kids go. And so I coach the middle school there. And then I also uh, coach my youngest son's uh, sixth grade team for select baseball. What about your dad? Does he get in on the coaching fund or is, he, or is he done with baseball? No, he does lessons. I mean, he's retired, but retired from one job. He does lessons all the time. And then I believe he's still either a pitching coach or pitching coordinator for uh, the Arlington A's uh, select program in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. think I might have lost Eric. Uh-oh. Well, hopefully Eric joins us back because I'm not hosting the show, and he is, and he knows what direction we're going. So um, we'll probably be talking Tom Brady, I think, and then – Baseball cards. I'm sure, Eric will have questions for me, but I'll tell you this: if he doesn't ask me this, I'm wondering if Fernando Tatis Jr. cards have gone down enough that they're a decent buy right now. Oh, here he comes back. Good. Coming back. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened to my camera. Now you still can you hear me? I can hear you, but I can't see you. Okay, I'm gonna have to fix my camera here. I'm sorry about this. This is a a weird thing to be happening right now. It's not the best, the best thing. But I said, hey, you're supposed to be hosting this show. So believe <laughs> me, now all of a sudden I got to host a show that I don't know what direction we're going in. So, well, we're going to talk uh, Tom Brady. We're going to talk uh, Tatis, like you said. Uh, sorry about guys about the uh, the uh, the miss out there. Silver Sport says, "Welcome, new host." That's very funny. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hey, I wanted to talk about the lockout first, though. Because you know you're you're a former MLB guy, you're a collector. Um, I guess two questions, and I know that uh, in 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 sports talk, and you're not supposed to ask two questions in journalism, but I'm going to ask two questions. One, how does it affect your collecting? And two, what kind? I mean, did you experience a lockout uh, in your career? And if so, 
how did it play? How does that play on the, the, the mindset of a player? So to answer the last question first, I did not. Two, I can remember on ESPN, there was a countdown clock. Uh, Vance Wilson, backup catcher for the Mets. Mike Piazza was our starting catcher. He was our player rep. And I remember that night after our game was over, he said, guys, I'm going to keep in touch with all of you. This is honestly a little bit before texting because we didn't have smartphones in 2002. You could text, but it took a long time to text. So way more phone call talking than text talking. Um, But there was a countdown clock and they were able to work out a deal because this was late in the season. I can't remember August. It was once again, just a a little bit of kind of a history of lockouts and, and spikes. The players right now, did the fans a big favor. And that is they played September and they played in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Players really don't make any money in the playoffs. If you win the World Series, you played a month of baseball. Well, if you're one of the premium players in baseball and you're making just an even number here, if you're making $30 million for the season, well, you get paid six months, so you're getting paid $5 million a month to play baseball if you're one of the premium players getting paid approximately $30 million a year. I know that's a high salary, but mm-hmm. give you an idea. If you win the World Series, you get the biggest playoff share of all the teams. It doesn't matter if you're the best player on the team or the worst player on the team. It's the same amount. And to win the World Series, a playoff share for the team that wins it all is I'm going to guesstimate right now about $350,000. So instead of making $5 million a month, you make $350,000 and all the TV revenue, uh, you know, all the sellouts and everything, it generates a whole bunch of money for MLB in general. That's why in 1994, which I wasn't a part of, I was in high school then, that's why the players struck in late August because they knew the money for the owners is really big time in October. And if we don't play in October, it hurts the owners. If we play the playoffs and we play the World Series and we get to this time of the year, the owners don't care about spring training. It doesn't generate any income or any revenue. And really the month of April is a very low revenue for baseball because besides opening day, it's freezing cold. It's still during school time. So your attendance is low. Uh, people are paying attention to hockey and basketball, right? In in June, July, August, you're kind of by yourself until it starts up football season again. So um, I know I'm going in different directions here, Eric, but I think it gives a good education to the listener. Why do players strike in August, September, and why do owners lock out in the offseason and then into spring training and possibly eat into the season? And it's all based on money. The players know they can hurt the owners the most by not playing in the playoffs. And the owners know that they can hurt the players the most because they're making real money, real salary in April. And they know knocking that out does not hurt their pocketbook much, but it does hurt the players a lot. That's an interesting, I mean, I, I guess I didn't know that. So that is interesting. It's, it's how strong is the MLB union then the players union? Well, it's the strongest union by far in professional sports. I obviously don't know all unions of teachers union. I don't know how strong they are or not strong, but you know, the NFL union is obviously the weakest Mm -hmm. Um, and the NBA is pretty strong too. NHL it's tough because they just don't generate a lot of revenue to be a very strong union. Mm -hmm. Um, Baseball is still has the best deal out of all the players. Yes, they're, there's not a salary cap. There is obviously when you go over right now, 210 million, there are penalties for doing that as a team, but not nearly as strict as the NFL, where you literally can't go over a certain number and you have to be at a certain number. So even though the players have fought very hard not to have a salary cap, the owners over the last two negotiating uh, agreements have been able to work in such penalties that a team like the Dodgers 10 years ago spent $300 million on their team. Now they only spend $210 million or $220 million. They go a little bit over. 
But if they were generating 10 years ago, which there's more money in sports now than 10 years ago, they were paying 300 million for their team and had no problem. When all these rules came in, they immediately dropped their salary under 200 million to kind of, we're going to be in line here because the owners are for the owners. It's very rare. George Steinbrenner was the rare case where he would kind of screw over his own owners and say, I don't care. I want to win so bad mm-hmm. that I'm going to do things that really hurt our group as an ownership against the players. Cause I'll just pay whatever I want to win that bad. Where even the Dodgers ownership recently said, okay, we got these rules in place to kind of put a cap in and we're going to do things to get down to that number uh, to help out. So I'm always, I'm pro player. If you can tell, obviously being right. a former player, my father being a former player, I was in the car with my son today after baseball practice. And he said, dad, don't you think it would be good just to have a salary cap in baseball? And I said, well, in general, I hear what you're saying, but if an owner said to you, Jake is my son's name, man, we're giving you a million dollars. We'd love to give you $2 million. We think you're a really good player and more than a million dollars but we're not allowed to. And if you were to say, well, where does that money go to? If you want to give it to me, you believe I've earned it and deserve it. And you have the money to pay me. Where does that million dollars go to that you want to give me? And they would say, well, because we can't pay the players any more money, you any more money, it goes in my pocket. I get that whole million dollars that I know you deserve and want to give you. Uh, And look, if an owner only has the Oakland athletics, $60 million to spend on a team because they don't generate any revenue. I get it. it. It stinks. You should move out of Oakland, find a better place to play. Uh, but if a team like the Dodgers and the ownership or Yankees want to give 300 million, they should be able to do it. And I know that we'd say, well, does that create a, a fair balance in power mm-hmm. of teams winning and losing? And I would say, wow, you know, that's a, that sounds like a good point. But when you look at the history of baseball, Baseball's usually not won by money. The Atlanta Braves were a middle-of-the-road salary team. I know this is a little bit while ago, but the Kansas City Royals won a World Series, and they were a lower-level team. The Tampa Bay Rays keep making the playoffs. Now, would they love to keep all their players all the time? Yeah, but if you have the right leadership, the right general manager group, good scouts, good coaches that are developing the right players and developing them to good major league players – you can win. It doesn't mean if you have the money, you're always going to be better. It definitely helps. Not stupid enough to say it doesn't help. You can have all the money in the world. If you're a bad organization running bad scouts, bad coaches, bad leadership, you're always going to be a bad team no matter how much money you have. Mm. Cue the Oakland A's. Sorry, Billy Bean. Uh, so how does – I know that you're a collector. That's why you're on the show. You've been on the show before. And you and I talk sports cards more than anything else. How does the, how does the lockout being a former player? How does that affect what you collect now? Because like the top series one checklist came out today, and you know Bowman draft came out last week, and we were discussing that last week. But how do you perceive collecting in a time like this? Is it good? Is it bad? Do you is, do you think there's a general lack of interest right now? I think there's less interest than uh, if you didn't have this situation going on. Um, But I do think there's more interest right now, maybe than last year, just because when you look at series one and it's carried by to me, one player, Wander Franco or Franco, I've heard it said a thousand. It's either Franco or Franco, but I still don't know which one to say. We we say Franco in the office. Okay. I'll say Franco right here. I've heard it both ways, but I think everybody's excited to collect what they think is a future superstar where when we looked at series one last year, series two update, There just wasn't a guy that really got, I think, the general baseball collector really excited to collect Joe Adele or, um, you know, whether it's Ryan Mountcastle. I know just two guys off the top of my head are decent rookies, you know, that people have potential for. But there just wasn't buzz around them to be a really possible superstar player. So I think there's the good news is, is Wander's going to be in all of these sets uh, to collect. But it also hurts because, Eric, you collect cards a lot going, I think this guy can hit 50 home runs. I think this guy can be the MVP. Now, the MVP will still happen. Just like in a 60-game season, you still have it. But baseball is driven so much by stats because of this 162 games. Who can accomplish, who can accumulate the most home runs, the most RBIs? 
you know, war is a big player, I think, yeah. in um, the the card collector now. You know, I, I see people talk about on YouTube and stuff, man, this guy's war has been this for this many years. And you look at who did this in, in war when you look at that. And so when you lack games, and I do not think they're going to play 162 games this year, it does hurt the overall market. And these players now, you had a, a season of only 60 games in their career. And I think this year, I'm going to guess, this is just an opinion guess, they're going to play 140 games this year. That eliminates another 20 games, which would eliminate from like a home run hitter, three to five more home runs, uh, you know? And so it goes to, man, can a dude like Vladimir Guerrero, are we going to look 10, 15 years from now and go, man, he should have close to 500 home runs, but he's missing literally 140 games from his career, not because of injury, but because of uh, COVID and and a lockout. In a lockout. That's crazy. I never thought about it like that, where, you know, they 10 years down the road, he might be, he might be at 480, you know, yeah. and, and that's just what it is. That's crazy. Now you, you when my camera malfunctioned there at the, at the top, you were talking about, is this a good time to pick up uh, Fernando Tatis Jr.? Well, I want you to expound on that. Is it, in your opinion, do you think it's a good time to, to pick up Tatis Jr.? Or are there any other uh, buys out there that you are, players out there that you're chasing and buying right now uh, on during this lockout. So the reason for Fernando Tatis Jr. is his cards have come down quite a bit from let's say September Mm -hmm. to now. I mean, I don't have a chart in front of me, but it just feels like when I look at his cards and I get the printing of 2019, people are catching up to man. There's a lot of base tops uh, type of rookies out there. So I get, that's a, a major reason why his cards have gone down. The other one is, well, he's not as hot anymore because now he's played somewhat three years in the major leagues. But when you look at what he was accomplishing, and I do know this inside information, I do know from the San Diego Padres front office, he is going back to playing shortstop every day. Mm-hmm. CJ Abrams is not going to take his place. If he gets hot in the minor leagues, he's going to be a second baseman or center fielder. So now I know that Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to stick at shortstop and they're not going to mess with him going to the outfield. He's going to be a shortstop. I think that helps his collectability playing the premier position in baseball. And then he has to stay healthy. It's a guess if he's going to be healthy or not. He hasn't been healthy his whole career. But if he doesn't have any health issues last year, he's easy the MVP. He's going to hit 50 home runs. He's probably going to steal 40 bases. He's probably going to be a 50-40 guy if his shoulder never gets hurt when you just look at what he was doing. But once the shoulder got hurt, he ends up still leading the National League in home runs, missing almost 30 games due to injury. Um, And so you just give him 30 more games, you figure, hey, that's going to be five to 10 more home runs. That's going to be – they stopped running him pretty much because they did not want him – they kept hurting themselves sliding, swinging Mm -hmm. one time, sliding the other. So like, look, if we eliminate you from stealing, you don't have to slide, which hopefully keeps you healthier. If he's healthy, if that shoulder's right – Now, I just said they won't play 162, but if they do, I do think a healthy Tatis Jr., as he keeps getting better at plate discipline, I think can be a guy who wins the MVP next year, hits 50-plus home runs. He does need the Padres to win more. It's not like basketball and football, but it is nice to be on a team that makes the playoffs. Mm, Absolutely. That, I mean, gosh, the last really, really good, and I'm going to go way back to when we were – in high school, I remember Trevor Hoffman and those Padres that like, that was the last time I remember the Padres being really good. So if, I mean, if this Padres team can make the playoffs, that, that West is the inner West is, is a tough division, right? It, it'd be great to see them break through. I wonder then though, about that market, is that market size? Does that affect his collectability? How are, how are Padre fans collecting cards? We know that the general hobby is picking him up, him up, but that that's a smaller a smaller market. How does that affect the collectability of a player? Do you think? I think that's a great question, and Eric, this is why I text you all the time to ask you questions <laughs> like this because I feel like you're more of a veteran of this, and I don't have the answers. This is just my opinion. When I think about things like that, because I do think about where a guy plays, then I think, well, he does have national commercials, which is rare for a baseball player. Right. Um, and then I go to my childhood. I was born in 1977 is Ken Griffey Jr. Played for the Seattle Mariners and he was the most popular guy to collect. 
Uh, now, would it have helped if he would have been a Met or a Yankee or a Red Sox? For sure. But he was still, you got to get Ken Griffey Jr. That's the guy to collect in 1989, pretty much through the 90s. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think it is, it is a good question, and it is uh, harder to overcome. But if you're dominating the game, you have great personality, which I do believe Fernando Tatis Jr. does. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think this is fair to the Latin player, but he does speak great English. Right. And so he can do interviews in English. And I feel like, Eric, this is all my opinion. The guys that don't speak English, sometimes in the collectible hobby world, I don't know what the percentage is. It's not high, but it doesn't help when guys don't really do commercials, aren't really getting interviews because they're uncomfortable doing interviews because it's not their the language that they are comfortable speaking. So for Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, national spotlight. Uh, I know he's not in a popular town for for baseball, but also, um, you know, has those commercials, has the numbers, has that flair that we look for. Um, but yeah, it would it would help in a better market, and then it will help if they win like a hundred games and look like a contender. Because that's part of the reason I think his cards went up is everybody thought. San Diego's going to take over the Dodgers. Right. Who would ever seen San Francisco doing what they did? Right. You met, you brought up a good point just a moment ago about uh, the language barrier. And you, you said King Griffey Jr. It makes me think about, about Ichiro. How, like, we, the, there's the baseball market on a whole missed on a great player there and his marketability because there was a, a little bit of a language barrier, just like you know, recently, you Darvish or, or somebody like that. Ichiro is probably the greatest hitter to ever play the game. If I'm wrong, tell me. But I seen him play with my own two eyes there in Seattle, and like he was he was awesome. But his collectability is there because of that. But outside of the the those uh, the Japanese speaking collectors or the Asian the Asian specific collectors, I don't know that he he carries a lot of respect uh, in the hobby in general. Where if you look at Albert Pujols, who came from that same rookie class. Who, who speaks, you know, he, he it, there is a barrier there, but it's not as much of one. And people are crazy about Pujols cards all the time. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And I do think, I mean, when we say this, it doesn't matter what we think. And, you, you know, we're hoping like, man, if you have a lot of Ichiro rookie cards or, or really cool Ichiro cards that they would go up. I do think, Eric, he is one of the greatest players in baseball history, especially when you include his Japanese right. professional stats. I believe he has the most hits in the history of baseball. If you yes. include, you know, major league baseball, and then I call it major league Japanese baseball. I know it's not called major league Japanese baseball, but I'm not including minor league stats. Mm-hmm. He has more hits than Pete Rose, more hits than Ty Cobb. Um, so if he would have just played in the major leagues, he would have been a guy who would have had over 4,000 hits, which is just incredible, incredible uh, to be able to do. But uh, he's not. As popular, which is weird because, you know, obviously Japan, that's their sport. I mean, right. Baseball is the NFL to them. Right. So it's it's interesting that you wouldn't have more. And I'll throw this back at you, Eric, okay, because I asked you questions. I'm going to ask you a question. Otani's cards went way up this year, rightfully mm-hmm. so. We've never seen in our lifetime and really in the history of baseball somebody do it at the same time. Babe Ruth was a pitcher first, hitter second. You know, he didn't do it at the same time. Do you think Otani's cards are correctly priced? Do you think they can go up more? Or do you think the fad of what he did will eventually fade from the collector's minds? Um, I don't see it fading anytime soon. And I say that because he is on the cover of MLB The Show this season. And I think that helps put his marketability in front of put kids or teenagers who otherwise might not watch an angels game does that make sense Mm -hmm. so uh and then again we we were just speaking about the japanese collector that that is a rabid rabid fan base and 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 it's and it's not from with my experience from it and maybe you can speak to it too they're they're japanese collectors supporting japanese players they don't care that it's not their team they just care that it's Ichiro, that it's Otani, that it's Hideki Masi, that it's Hideo Nomo. That's what they care about. So uh, I remember the Japanese press in Seattle being nuts uh, all over Ichiro. And I think 
that for the time being, Otani is probably priced correctly. Um, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what the Angels do with him next year because I believe there is some talk of he doesn't want to pitch anymore, right? He wants to be a full-time hitter. Am I correct in saying that? I don't I have I have not heard that. I, I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm but I think that's what I heard, and it's because he's you know that team is is historically bad for putting together uh rotations, right? So I, I think that they want him. Maybe it's the Angels that want him to hit full time, and then they, they they can focus on bringing in uh pitching. So I think that his I think that he's a better hitter than he is a pitcher, and he's a great pitcher, but his 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 value is going to be on his his card showing him batting. Does that make sense? I got you. I understand with that. I'll tell you this. This is my opinion on it. We'll see. I don't think the Angels are going to make the playoffs. He's put down the gauntlet if this is not a competitive team that looks like can go places. He's leaving. Mm-hmm. I do think he likes the West Coast. And I think that the Dodgers are going to go after him. I think the reason they let Seager go – I think the reason that it looks like they're going to let Kershaw go, uh, I think that they're looking at it going, and I do think, we'll see about this. I do think there's going to be a universal DH. I do think Mm -hmm. we're about ready to be done with pitchers hitting, which gives him going to the National League. He doesn't have to play a position. Um, I've heard that he's a very good outfielder if you wanted to put him out there. But obviously with pitching, Mm -hmm. you don't want to put stress on his arm throwing balls from the outfield. Uh, in certain situations. So I think that he could be a Dodger in 2023, which I think could really help that he goes to one of the most popular teams in baseball. So first of all, Chavez ring, it's beautiful there, right? It's uh, absolutely a beautiful place to, to see uh, baseball, but I think him going down the road a little bit from Anaheim to LA. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's far off at all. And I think that he would probably dominate National League pitching as a hitter. I mean, that's what I think. We're, it's not Greg Maddox out there anymore, right? Greg Maddox has had one pitch, and that's all you had to worry about. But you still couldn't hit it. I think that he could probably go out there and, and dominate National League pitching. That's just what I think. We, we're, speak, we're speaking of DHs, uh, and we're going to switch gears here. And I want to ask you about David Ortiz getting into the Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds not, Roger Clemens not. Pete Rose, not, I mean, those, those are all, those are probably, we could probably talk another hour about that kind of stuff, but what do you, do you have any first, do you have any poppy stories? I do not because I didn't get to, I didn't face him. Um, okay. I did face in 2001, man, I'd have to look, I might've pitched an inning against the the twins. I don't think I did. I remember going to, um, uh, you know, Minnesota, what's the old stadium called the dome. Uh, yeah, the Metro. Yeah, played at the Metrodome, but I warmed up. I don't think I got in. He was in 2001. I I believe if I have his timing right, he was still with the Twins, mm-hmm. and he was just an up and coming power hitter, but really didn't do much with the Twins. Is when he went to Boston that he crushed it. And I never faced him in Boston because really after 2001, most of my innings were in the National League, whether pitching for the Mets or pitching for the Nationals. Uh, so I did not get to face him, uh, which, you know, that's an intimidating man at the plate. Sure. I get, you know, it's weird. I didn't know if he was going to be a Hall of Famer just because I care about defense and he never played defense. And when he had to, he wasn't good at it. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was a great hitter. <laughs> Um, but you know, offense dominates hall of fame voting and, you know, one of my teammates, and I know there's more to the story with Omar Vizquel than just baseball. Uh, Unfortunately there's off field stuff, but if you take that away, because he's been on the ballot before stuff came out about Omar Vizquel's off field, uh, possible issues, he was only getting like 40% of the vote. And yet he's the best defensive shortstop for like a 10 to 15 year period. Nobody could. Besides Ozzie Smith, like Mark McLemore, the doctor of defense who I work with, you know, and we we're only can tell you kind of 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, mm-hmm. it's tough to th- say, you know, how was this dude at defense back in the 50s, 60s? We weren't really alive and there weren't many games televised to really then go back and look is 
Most people will say Ozzie Smith's the greatest defensive shortstop of all time and Omar Vizquel's the second greatest defensive shortstop of all time. And that doesn't hold really much weight at all with the voters of how great of a defensive player you were. And Omar did have, I think, over 2,700 hits or 2,800 hits. But offense dominates. David Ortiz gets in. Okay, um, I understand that. For Barry Bonds and for Roger Clemens moving on the story, I would have voted them in um, because yeah. I, I'm pretty sure David Ortiz did test positive one time or he at least like there was there was at least the major allegations that, mm-hmm. that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens went through. Um, but he got in quickly and it just shows personality does matter. He was nice right. to the media. Right. Uh, he was a fan favorite and Roger and Barry weren't. But Roger and Barry are way better than David Ortiz. Like it's, they're not even in the same class. Right. But because of the steroid allegations, they didn't get in. I would have voted him in because I do believe there are players right now in the Hall of Fame that did steroids uh, in their career and it helped them become the player that they were. Maybe I'm wrong for this. Like I've talked to former baseball players that say, no, you're wrong for this. If you know they did it, you know they're wrong. You don't vote them in. The other guys that are in that we believe did it, uh, they shouldn't be in either. So we don't just keep putting guys in. I would have put them in and said, look, it is what it is. We can't mm-hmm. we can't say, well, we think this guy did it, but don't know. So he's in. We're pretty sure he did it. Um, so he's not in. We don't like this person because he was really mean to us. So we're not putting him in. I just think, hey, it is what it is. Was it illegal? Kind of, but kind of not. They weren't testing for it in the 90s. I think 2003 was the first year we got tested for steroids. So it wasn't like whatever you did from about 1989 to 2002, where it was very prevalent and not tested for. Well, I mean, baseball should have had testing for it since they did it, you know. He tested positive for a band's substance in, I think it was 01. It might have been 02. But at that time... Baseball was testing their test. They were trying to figure out yeah. how they were going to test players. So he was on, he popped positive for something, but it was never uh, revealed what it was. Baseball never said what it was. So there, there was that. He, but he's very likable, like you just said. Like very, my experiences with with David Ortiz were some of my favorite. Uh, while I worked in baseball, I, my favorite story that I tell about him was. He, we were in the uh, we were in the runway, and he was he was coming from the east. I was coming from the west. And we were both looking down at our phones, and we ran square into each other, and it knocked me square on my butt. And I looked up, I went Poppy, and he smiled. And he said, "Come on, Bubba," and he picked me up, and then like he went on his way. It was it was a great experience. He didn't get mad or anything like that. You know, it was just a, it was a cool thing, and he was always genuine when I seen him. So I think the likability helps a lot. Uh, when it comes to these voters now, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens go to the, the the other the other Hall of Fame voting, which I which they convene they they reconvene in November, I think it is, or maybe it's October to to, to discuss these players. So hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see them get in. I th- I'm in line with you. I think they get put in, and you you put that that caveat. Hey, look, it is what it is, and I think that's uh I think they should be in. Staying in Boston, uh. Brady retires today. I know that this is what we all want to we want to talk about today because this is this is big news not only for uh, the NFL but for collectors too. There was a kind of a mad run on Brady cards today. Uh, uh-huh. Looking at eBay, um, at least with cards being listed and cards being you know picked up, it, we we knew it was going to happen eventually. But two, uh, give me just your general thoughts or. One, give me your general thoughts on uh, Tom Brady, and, and two, uh, what, what do you think it does for his collectability? I mean, we all know what it is. We already know it, he's been hot for a long time. His autographs are untouchable. But do you think this adds more people jumping in trying to grab him now? I think right now, yes, but it'll calm down. I think obviously when somebody retires and then when somebody gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, you'll see a little bit of a jump. And then unfortunately, when somebody dies, passes away, right. recently a lot of Hall of Fame baseball players have passed away. I think the major one being Hank Aaron, and you just saw a jump in his cards. But even guys like Joe Morgan, Tom Seaver, their cards jumped up a little bit when they passed away. Um, So I would say when it comes to Tom Brady, I'm surprised that people are like, oh, I got to get him now. Like, 
what were you waiting on? He's been in 10 Super right. Bowls in 27. <laughs> I will tell you, Eric, I got to tell this story. It's my worst sale ever mm. is when he won his first Super Bowl. I bought the contenders autograph card in a PSA nine for $110 on eBay. <laughs> and so in 2014, our family's moving and into this house and we're a little bit low on funds, like moving funds and, you know, getting furniture for the new house and everything. So I said, you know what? Tom Brady and Peyton Manning's career are pretty much over. Because if you remember, Brady goes 10 years without winning a Super Bowl until then they go on another unbelievable run in New England. And then he wins the one in Tampa Bay last year is I said, you know what? This card's worth $2,000 and I paid $110 for mm. it. Let me sell it and say, man, I made about a $1,900 profit. That's a good buy and a good sale. Yeah. And I texted that guy three months ago because I was looking through my eBay transactions. And I said, hey, are you lucky enough to still have this card? And he said, I sure am. And I believe, I don't know exactly what that card goes for, but I think it's like 150000 or more dollars right now. So uh, It's just the regular version? I guess regular version autograph PSA nine. Yeah, you're so the championship ticket. Well, a, a championship ticket just sold last weekend for just north of one point two million. It was an eight five with a nine autograph. Uh, so the regular version uh, that that can get you around one hundred fifty to three hundred k in that grade, just depending on you know the, the overall condition of the card and how it presents. Oops. <laughs> Man, that's horrible. That's horrible. It happens. I mean, in 2011, Eric, I can remember this. I said, man, I think this Mike Trout kid is going to be good. I know he wasn't good his first call up, but I think he's going to be good. And um, I was out of a job at the time, kind of after baseball, before my radio gig now and TV gig with the Texas Rangers. And there was a lot of 40 Mike Trout tops update cards. And I said, you know what? I want these. I wasn't around the computer. I'll win them. They're going for about $2 a piece on eBay. I'll bid 100 bucks, and I'll get 40 of these. And I go back to the computer later, and it says, you just lost. Uh, it was sold at $102.50 for 40 up tops update, Mike Trout. Man, man that's, a, that's a tough – that's a tough sell, man, or tough buy, or in this yeah. case, or a non-buy. I did get a whole bunch of other Mike Trouts, but unfortunately, they're not with me anymore because I gave them to somebody to get graded, and mm. they didn't get them graded and sold them. So. Man, that's a that we'll we'll discuss that another time. I don't want <laughs> we don't want to divulge full details on that. So hey, uh, let's we're at thirty eight minutes in. I know that we both have things okay. to do this evening, but I want to talk about a few more. Uh, Subjects, uh, the Super Bowl for one. Uh, are you are you all in on Joe Burrow? Man, this is this is what a story. I, I don't think in our lifetimes because I wasn't really around for Joe Montana's introduction into the NFL. I was a baby then. Um, sure. So to see a guy go to the worst team in football and a bad franchise that just a lot of people around NFL said, "Hey, this is a bad franchise." They don't pay their scouts. They have the least amount of scouts. They struggle in the draft. They struggle to really, uh, you know, keep uh, good coaches around because they don't pay their coaches the way that other teams pay their coaches. Mm -hmm. For him to go to that franchise and in year two, they were the fifth worst team in football last year. And they weren't doing well when he was healthy. He right. got hurt and it didn't help. But, I mean, they were, a, they were a bad team when he was playing last year. And for him to be in the Super Bowl, that's just one of the greatest stories in my lifetime in football to turn around a franchise like that, it would be like to me, Eric, I know this would be even more, but right now it would be like if Trevor Lawrence next year is in the Super Bowl. And I don't think anybody believes Trevor Lawrence is going to be in the Super Bowl next year. And at this time last year, if you just said, yeah, that Joe Burrow who just had surgery on his knee a few months ago, he's going to lead a team to the Super Bowl. You'd say, Oh, well, I could see that in 2025 ish, like after some draft picks and no next year. And all he got I mean, he, didn't, he doesn't have a good offensive line. Jamar Chase is arguably the best receiver in the game, and he's only a rookie. But, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, for him to just get Jamar Chase, his defense is a good defense. But this just amazing. And, and Joe Burrow, to me, I said today, he actually is doing way more than what 
you would say that Patrick Mahomes did in his second year. Mahomes sat out his first year because they had Alex Smith. And his second year, he won MVP and almost made it to the Super Bowl. Kind of didn't go because of the coin flip uh, loss. Mm-hmm. But he took over a playoff team. They traded up to get him, and they were a playoff team. And then they were a playoff team his rookie year. And then he took over. It'd be like Trey Lance. If Trey Lance next year wins a Super Bowl, what a story. But he'd be taking over a team that went to the NFC Championship game. He has a good team around him. He had a Burrow had a horrible team around him. Yeah. And he's gotten them to the Super Bowl. That's it's amazing. It is amazing. I think that he he's the next. I mean, it's hard to say he's the next it in, in the hobby football wise, because you have Justin Herbert, who's just an amazing talent. Uh I I people are still really strong on uh you know D- Derek Carr, even though it might not play out. There are people out there who are strong on Derek Carr because he plays in Vegas, uh in that market there. But I think that Joe Burrow is it. Like he's then I don't I don't want to say he's the second coming of Joe Montana or Tom Brady, but good God, he's good. I want to switch gears now and talk about real quick uh, since this is Beckett. Yeah, I did pick up. I will say this: I was sitting on this card on eBay, and it was a BGS eight point five Spectra Wave Joe Burrow rookie, numbered ten out of ten, and it was nine point five on three grades. It has seven point five on the uh, surface for six hundred dollars, and I was just sitting on it, going, "If they make it to the Super Bowl, this card's going way up," and when. Patrick Mahomes through the interception. Mm-hmm. I hit by it now. Oh, awesome. Very awesome. Now, <laughs> now did the seller cancel or no. did he take? Oh, luckily he didn't. I know that's happened to me before. I bought a Mookie Betts rookie card for really cheap. And then they said, no, sorry, we're refunding you your money. Yeah. I want to talk about Matt Stafford now, but before I do that, I have a Matt Stafford rookie card right here. First person in the comment section to hit Clint, it says claim. You'll get this Matt Stafford card, rookie card that's for you. Just hit claim in the comment section now. Mike, you can't go do that. You got to. I'm gotta, not. Okay. <laughs> but hey, what about this Dallas kid? I know that we're both Texas guys, uh, grown, and he's a Dallas kid. And uh, there you go, Brandon. It's yours. Uh, please email me at eric, eric n at beckett.com, and I'll uh, give me your shipping address and I'll get the Stafford rookie out to you. Uh, he's a Dallas kid. You know, there had been talk for years about him coming to play for the Cowboys. There was, I think, I think there might've even been some Prescott trade talks to get Stafford uh, here in Dallas, but uh, he, he's, he's, I don't know how to say he played on such a crappy team in Detroit that he's almost forgotten about. And everybody, there was, I seem to think that there's a lot of pressure put on him this season, but he finally made it to the show. He finally he's, he's doing big things. Cooper Cup has saved his butt so many times, but Stafford is here. What do you think happens with uh, with Stafford's cards right now, especially if they win the Super Bowl? Well, if he wins the Super Bowl, is he a Hall of Famer? Because I think he is. I think so too. I and he especially needs to win. Yeah, he's got to win. I'm leaning towards the Rams, anyways. They're they're plus they're minus four. I think is what they are right now. Uh, I'm leaning towards the Rams because I think if Matt Stafford gets a Super Bowl and wins an MVP, he's got to immediately turn around and give that to Aaron Donald. That's just what I think. I think the Rams have what it takes to win, and I think that he's a Hall of Famer, and I think his rookie cards go through the roof. Uh, You could be right. Uh, I really don't have much Matthew Stafford stuff. I can remember when he got traded to the Rams. His cards had a pretty big jump, Mm -hmm. uh, and I was just like, ah – you know, I didn't see it happening, so I didn't buy him when he was still a Detroit Lion. So I've kind of stayed away from his cards. It's kind of one of those things. I didn't buy Josh Allen cards either mm-hmm. after his rookie year. I bought Lamar Jackson cards, which <laughs> still wasn't bad. But, uh, you know, Josh Allen cards have gone way up, and now Matthew Stafford's cards have gone up. I just wonder this, Eric. The other side of it from collecting is what if he loses this game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, then he's probably right now you'd say he probably has three or four more years left, but you'd say not a hall of famer yet. He needs to have a few more good runs with LA. And I don't know there, you know, then it goes into cap situation. Can they keep all these guys? They never have any draft picks. Yeah. They don't have a first round draft pick till 24. Yeah. So, uh, but if he can win this, it does put him into that category of, Hey, I think he's a hall of famer. And then it just makes it so tough 
to look at anybody ever going to Detroit, kind of like going to Cincinnati uh, and actually winning. And that's what going back to Burrow makes it so special that he went to a Detroit slash Cincinnati situation and took him to a Super Bowl. But for Matthew Stafford, yeah, I do think that people will look at him way more uh, in the world of I got to get his cards if he wins the Super Bowl. Um, but I'm going to be opposite right now. Maybe it's my heart more rooting for Joe Burrow. Not that I'm against Matthew Stafford, but I just think it'd be what a story if Cincinnati wins this thing. So I'm kind of leaning towards Cincinnati pulling it off. I didn't think they had a chance against Kansas City and they beat them. So I'm going to lean towards uh, Cincinnati figuring out a way to do it. I think the ho- the hobby on a whole is probably leaning, hoping for Cincinnati to win because they have a lot more money wrapped up in Joe Burrow than they do Matt Stafford. I, but I just think the this is the Rams' year at home. Man, I, if this was wrestling, Roger Goodell would win Booker of the Year because he like he couldn't. You know what a Booker is in wrestling. Is that where they create the matches? They oh. create the matches. They yeah. so the Rams at home in the Super Bowl with a Matt Stafford story. They are definitely the baby faces in this. I know that I'm, I'm probably talking to. I should be probably talking to Kevin Hagelin and not you about wrestling. But one hundred percent. But the the Bengals are the heels here. And God, you you got you got to love a good heel story when the heel wins and they're not supposed to. It's it's wonderful. Kevin so, took me to wrestling uh, a month ago to um, AEW. Yeah, yeah. And it was really fun, and I was rooting for the heels just because I don't know the the wrestlers that well, and they were so much more entertaining. I was like, man, yeah. the way that they're inciting the crowd and the way that they're playing up, I was just like, uh, being the heel just seems like more fun and way more entertaining. So let me, since you brought up AEW, we'll, we'll start to wrap up the show. Um, I don't know if you're paying attention to Upper Deck's AEW uh, product that recently came out, but this is a perfect example in collecting where heel autographs like this evil, evil Uno here, this is a $90 card and it has no business being a $100 card at all, but it's a popular product and it just people love the bad guys. So it's, it's something to keep an eye on if you're not. I'm not saying go all in and, and or go all out for an AEW reference, reference, but like, like you should probably pay attention to it right now. It's, it's pretty hot, pretty hot in the hobby. Like jersey cards or relic cards, they're selling for forty and fifty dollars. That's ridiculous. In uh, the wrestling, yeah. Do they call them underwear cards? No, they don't. Uh, they should probably, but that's okay. All right, man. Hey, what do you guys got on tap this week on, over there at one hundred five point three? The fan. Well, I have tomorrow at 12.45 my former manager, Bobby Valentine, coming on to to talk baseball. And, I mean, he ran for mayor uh, of his city. He didn't end up winning. Uh, He's part of now – I have to read more about it tonight, but he just joined a gaming uh, company uh, that also does kind of gambling and gaming. Uh, He has a book that just came out um, that's kind of part of his – his life story and his time in major league baseball. So I'm excited to talk to him. And then honestly, right now, uh, Eric, it's always an interesting time in sports talk radio, especially in Dallas. Cowboys always carry everything. NFL uh, always carries a lot of weight, but here we are coming up to the trade deadline in the NBA. Uh, Mm -hmm. The stars aren't really having much of a season to kind of really start trying to, you know, follow them, but you know, following Luca, following the Mavs, what they're going to do. You know, how much do we talk about that? How much do people care about that right now? It's weird being in Dallas. We have one of the five best players in the game, but yet it just doesn't feel you're here. It just doesn't feel like there's this um, energy right, from yeah. the Dallas Mavericks. And so that's something in Sports Talk Radio where like, hey, is the energy there to talk about this? Or are people going to flip the channel going, hey, I want NFL talk. I want Dallas Cowboy talk. So that's something we always have to uh, look at. And then with the lockout, you know, we'd love to be talking Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and what's going on with Clayton Kershaw in the market. But um, that's a little dead right now. So it's always a transition right now, Eric, as the football season has pretty much come to a close on on where you go. Because we're far enough away from the draft that – I don't think right. people want to hear about who the offensive guards are that the Cowboys could take at 24. Sure. That, yeah, no one wants to talk guards right now. I heard 
I heard RJ Choppy and Sean Sharif talking sports memorabilia this morning oh. uh, on on the drive in. So even they're getting into it a little bit. I know that I know that uh, Sharif he doesn't he doesn't quite get into the cards, but memorabilia he didn't care much about either. But Choppy, you give Choppy a, a Peyton Manning anything or a Tim Tebow anything, and he's all in all the time. So that's that's fun. Uh, Brandon says he's in Paris, Texas, not far from you. Hey, Brandon, I hope you're tuning in to 105.3 The Fan and checking out the show. It's a yeah, lot of man. fun. And then uh, I'll ask you this question, Eric, that Kevin asked me on the air on Monday. Mm -hmm. Do you think Patrick Mahomes' cards take a dip as this offseason continues because he was, he doesn't go back to a Super Bowl? Now it doesn't look like he's going to kind of push Tom Brady in that how many Super Bowls are you going to go to, how many championships are you going to win situation? A slight dip. No, I don't I – don't, I mean – I think it'll be slight, and then, you know, the start of next season, he could he could run off four wins in a row, and it just pops right back up. It, it, I think he's one of those players right now that he's pretty much at the level that he's going to be at, and it's going to be that way for a while. Something drastic is going to have to happen to make collectors come off those prices because they've seen what they are in the past, and they've seen what he can do. So until he just proves otherwise that he just flat out is not going to go to seven Super Bowl or what, what did Brady go to 10 Super Bowls and he won seven. So until he just proves flat out that he's not going to win seven, you know, I think there might be a, a slight dip, but it's never going to be like a drastic thing. That's what I think. All right. That's going to be it for the tonight show. Hey, I, I, I wanted to keep you 30 minutes. We went almost an hour. I appreciate your time. I, I wore a hat tonight, so we didn't get confused. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much, everybody. That's it for this week. Be back next week. We have something special coming up, but I don't want to spoil it yet. Everybody, have a good, good night. Mike, hang out backstage. Good night. God bless. We'll see you soon.